You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. I'm here in Northern California, rocking and rolling. We've had two earthquakes in the past two days, so let's hope we don't have one during our program. This is chat radio, and by that I mean that guests come on this program and we chat about various topics. And whatever the topic, it relates to a relationship. In the past, we've spoken about issues for our senior citizens, Hopefully, these conversations will help us plan for our future so that our children will know how to care for us, and we will know when they're going to come to visit. We've had conversations about dating, organizing your home, rewiring your brain, adult ADD and autism, and addiction and trauma, just to name a few. I hope that what you learn helps you to create better relationships with yourself your family, your friends, and your significant others. One of the many topics we have yet to address on Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio is plastic surgery. Now, I think plastic surgery is about the relationship you have with yourself. There are so many amazing outcomes that can be had from plastic surgery. Some out there might think that plastic surgery is shallow. Let's think about this, though. Many of my patients who've had plastic surgery tell me they have more energy, they are more self-assured, and they feel better about themselves than they have in their entire life. Here's an example. One of my patients lost 100 pounds, and according to her, she had loose skin everywhere. She told me that she had her hanging skin removed, And she can't get over how happy she feels about not having to tuck in extra skin into her jeans. And another patient told me she felt like a hawk because of the way her nose was. She had it fixed, and she told me it's changed the way she feels about herself. And the list goes on and on. Today, we are going to discuss a plastic surgery topic that has touched every woman who's had breast cancer or who has the genetic propensity for breast cancer that has resulted in having a mastectomy. And by the way, listeners, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so this could not be a more timely topic. According to the Breast Cancer Fact Sheet, and this is kind of scary, every two minutes, one case of breast cancer is diagnosed in a woman in the United States. In 2019, breastcancer.org reports that an estimated 268,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer are expected to be diagnosed in women in the United States, along with 62,930 new cases of non-invasive breast cancer. And when I found these statistics, I found them totally alarming. And I don't want to exclude our male listeners. 
I never even really thought about guys getting breast cancer, but they do, and it's expected that 2,670 new cases of invasive breast cancer will be diagnosed for men in 2019. Finding out that one has breast cancer is a shock. Waiting to hear the results of how bad your breast cancer is is traumatizing. Making up stories about how disfigured you will be is depressing. And thinking that you might lose your hair is really scary. But I encourage everyone listening to this program who is currently diagnosed with breast cancer or who is in recovery from their procedure to think about this. It is so easy to traumatize ourselves with stories about the tragedy of it, the outcome, the loss of how you used to be. It's much more centering and rewarding to consider your options. Today, we are so lucky because American women have choices. We can choose to live flat or we can select breast reconstruction. The latest statistics, which are from 2017, I couldn't find anything newer, indicate that between 40 and 50% of women have reconstruction surgery after a mastectomy. Let's put that in perspective. In 1998, only 15% of women chose reconstruction after a mastectomy. It is thought that the reason for this is that women were not fully informed of this option. Today, we are so, 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 so fortunate to have with us Shannon Rathbun, who is a physician's assistant for one of the best, in my humble opinion, plastic surgeons in the Bay Area. Shannon graduated from the University of California with a degree in biological sciences and a minor in fitness instruction. Then she went through the physician's assistant program at Barry University in Miami, Florida, where she graduated with a master's degree in clinical medical science dash physician assistant in 2002. Shannon, it is indeed an honor to have you join us today, especially in Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Welcome to our program. I am. Thank you. It's an honor to be here with you today. That was a very informative introduction about breast cancer and reconstruction. Yeah, so so that our listeners know exactly what does a physician's assistant do? Describe our job, your job for us. Yes, uh, PAs are we're licensed practitioners. We can practice medicine under the indirect supervision of physicians. We work in primary care and most all of the medical specialties, such as emergency medicine general surgery, cardiology, and most of the surgical subspecialties. We can diagnose and treat. We can order labs and imaging studies, develop treatment plans, prescribe medication, and perform procedures under local anesthesia and first assist in surgery. We have also been referred to as physician extenders. Well, it sounds like you're like um, almost like a doctor. <laughs> Well, <laughs> not all the training, but they say it is squeezed into uh, two years, and then we have a lot of on-the-job training, definitely. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Writing prescriptions, that's a little scary. 
for me. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about a type of cancer that concerns most of us women, which is breast cancer. I understand that there are four stages of breast cancer, and I know that you're not an oncologist, so without going into medical terms that we don't understand, would you give us an elementary review of what each stage entails? Sure. The breast cancer stages range from zero to four, and zero indicates that the cancer is non-invasive or contained within the milk duct. The stage four breast cancer, also called metastatic breast cancer, indicates that the cancer has spread to other areas of the body. Uh, Breast cancer staging also takes into account your cancer's grade, the presence of tumor markers such as receptors for estrogen and progesterone and HER2, and the proliferation or growth factors. So the staging can be very different among cancers and patients. Well, well, I just discussing that kind of strikes fear into me. I have a friend who said that there were no signs of breast cancer, and if she'd not had a mammogram, she would never, ever have known. And her own breast exams and her physician's breast exams detected no signs. She caught her breast cancer early, and tell us, what is the best way to detect if you have breast cancer? They do definitely, uh, you know, we recommend monthly self-breast exam um, and mammography. Starting at age 40 is still recommended um, is the gold standard for detection. You might be placed, depending on risk factors, into an annual or biannual um, mammography. Um, And then if anything is seen or spotted, ultrasound and needle-guided biopsy or MRI would then be used for diagnosis. Yeah, I think it's just so sneaky sometimes when we can't detect it. And then it's a total shock when you get the call that says, oh, by the way, we detected something, come back. True, right. It it is tricky because some women, you know, before the age of 40 have breast cancer. So definitely, you know, being comfortable with self-exam is number one and just looking for any signs of changes, nipple retraction, you know, sometimes the skin may change to like an to look like an orange peel, you may have a, a discharge, yeah. Well, all I can say for our listeners out there is get yourself in there when your mammogram yes. comes due because you just never know what's going on. Now, Shannon, I know that oncologists might have different approaches to treating breast cancer. Let's take our listeners through the process if breast cancer is discovered. Um, More testing, like diagnosing. So can you take us through that? Sure. Usually once it's found on um, mammography and biopsy, they're presented, the patient's presented at a breast cancer tumor board, which is a multidisciplinary group with a general surgeon, an oncologist, an oncologic radiologist, so those who do radiation, and a plastic surgeon. And they'll, then they'll determine the best surgical and treatment plan for the patient depending on a lot of different factors of the patient's health, and uh, usually the staging of the breast cancer occurs after the cancer is removed surgically and looked at by the pathologist 
Um, they might also perform some genetic and hormonal testing on the cancer. Hmm. Now, you, you said the staging. What do you mean by that? The staging such as, you know, stage 1A, 2, 2A, 2B, right. When you say staging, How far, if I think about a theater. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, the staging of the breast cancer. Okay, right. so then so they tell. And based on the they, nodes. Okay. They, they determine yeah. what stage it is. Exactly, and that's usually done after. <laughs> they don't think the light camera actually. I hope not. Um, no. We're coming up on a hard break, so I need a short answer to this question. Is it true that many sure. women who are taking hormone replacement therapy contract breast cancer? Um, that's actually difficult to say. Some might be more prone to getting cancer. I think estrogen-only hormone replacement can increase the risk if they're taking it for more than 10 years. It can also increase the risk of ovarian cancer. But as far as taking hormone replacement, the doctor and patient need to weigh their options and risk factors and benefits. Okay. So does genetic testing kind of help with that? Um, you know, it may. I'd say if, if a patient, and only if they have family history, you wouldn't genetically test every patient unless they have, you know, yeah, genetic history. Well, we're going to have to take a hard break. We are here with physician assistant, who's more like a doctor to me, um, Shannon Rathbun, and listeners, we, were just, we are discussing breast cancer. We will be back in a few moments. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we are so, so fortunate to have with us a physician's assistant, Shannon Rathbun. And before we came to the commercial break, we were talking about the stages of breast cancer. Now, Shannon, well, I'm sure our listeners would like to know about nose jobs and tummy tucks and all that thing stuff. Um, I, I sure would. For today, I'd like to focus on reconstruction surgery following a mastectomy due to breast cancer. So for those of us listening who are unclear about what a mastectomy is, would you explain it? Sure. A mastectomy is performed by a general surgeon to remove all of the breast tissue. Uh, The skin of the breast is left behind for reconstruction unless an area is involved and we need to remove that. Um, They may also remove one sentinel lymph node from the armpit, depending on the type of cancer, or they may remove, if if the node is positive or if it's been found on MRI to be positive, they might take a larger sampling. Uh, You may also hear about lumpectomy. That's where just the cancer with a margin of healthy breast tissue all around is removed. That's usually only recommended for earlier, less aggressive forms of cancer in situ, carcinoma in situ, and is followed up with radiation of the entire breast. Um, I also want to mention another type of mastectomy you might hear about, nipple-sparing mastectomy. Um, That's the the surgery that Angelina Jolie brought to light when she had this in 2013 for her hereditary breast cancer gene, but that's where they actually remove some tissue from behind the nipple but leave the nipple and skin, a realer skin behind. I didn't know that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's usually only recommended if there's not, uh, because the nipple does contain ductal tissue and a lot of cancers can be found in the duct, so and sometimes the nipple may not survive, so there are different, you know, some, some surgeons don't like to do it, some will, but yeah. those are considerations. I thought when Angelina Jolie had that done, I thought she just had both of her breasts totally removed with everything. So Well, ex- except the nipple, but they are kind of, quote-unquote, cored out from behind. Oh. Okay. Mm, that doesn't sound mm-hmm. pleasant. <laughs> it sounds... It sounds uh, <laughs> Preventative. So please educate us a little more about, um, or some, about breast reconstruction. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about this. So after an mastectomy, when does reconstruction begin? There's either immediate breast reconstruction or delayed breast reconstruction, again, depending on different factors. Um, Immediate breast reconstruction is when an expander um, or a postoperatively adjustable implant may be placed behind the skin of the tissue at the same time. Sometimes um, the surgeon may be able to place a silicone gel implant at the same time if the skin and tissue is very healthy, the patient doesn't want to be a great deal bigger or larger. and, and also there is delayed breast reconstruction where they may have the mastectomy and then heal for three months, maybe get any further treatments they may need, such as radiation or chemotherapy. And then we can go in and place an expander. And um, when you place an expander, it's actually 
you have to do two operations because you'll have to go back once the skin and tissue has been filled out and uh, remove that expander in place, a silicone gel or saline implant. Okay. But there, there are also flap-type surgeries, which we can talk about, using your own tissue. Okay. Um, what are the reconstruction options? Uh, yes. So, as we mentioned, either delayed or immediate. Um, most commonly, we, this, it, you, we use implants because it is kind of a, a bit easier, more... Um, you know, less less risk surgery um, versus the deep flap, which is a deep inferior epigastric perforator. Um, that's what it's named after. It's a microvascular uh, surgery. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> tricky words in there. Um, <laughs> where we can actually use the patient's abdomen and um, remove the skin and fat of the abdomen and take it up to the chest, and you sew it to an artery and vein. And so the patient actually has their own uh, tissue instead of an implant. And that surgery can take 8 to 12 hours, depending on if it's one side versus two sides. And um, the biggest risk would be total flap loss. Um, We can also do a latissimus breast reconstruction where you take tissue and muscle, skin tissue, muscle from the back and rotate it to the front of the chest, and usually you need to use an implant with that because it only brings in tissue to replace unhealthy tissue, as in radiated tissue. If a patient needed radiation, they don't do so well with implants because uh, the radiation damages the, the small blood vessels, and that can lead to encapsulation or firmness around an implant with time. Wow. That's Sometimes so we can get away with it. <laughs> so complicated. Now, There's a lot to know. You're, you're present for these surgeries, right? Yes, I have physician assistants first assist in these surgeries. And we do a lot of the post-operative and pre-operative care for the patients. Well, thank you for all of your knowledge. So, Tell us about the different type of implants. I think people have been curious about this. And, and as you're telling us that, can women go from a triple or for a, like a triple A size to a double D when they have reconstruction? Very good question. Not always. Um, but okay. they might be able to increase by a cup size or two, maybe more. And in that instance, we probably want to use an expander, so have a two-stage surgery. But, yes, if a patient has breast cancer, it's nice to have a silver lining where, you know, maybe they always thought about breast augmentation. And in this sense, they can have a little bit extra volume and, you know, maybe be more perky than they would have been. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that's a bonus. Um, (laughs) So, again, the different types of implants, perky is good. Perky is good. Um, we we use both silicone and saline implants. I'd say most are using silicone gel implants now. They were taken off the market in the 90s uh, because, you know, it was claimed that maybe they were associated with certain cancers or illnesses, MS. Um, so they were taken off and heavily studied and then found that they were very safe. 
silicone is the you know the most inert element on the periodic chart. So it's used in a lot of implantable devices. Um, so it, and they're they're also the silicone gel implants now are made more like a gummy bear or more cohesive, so that if they did get a small tear, they would not ooze everywhere like the implants of 40 years ago. Um, well, saline implants. I love that idea oh. of gummy bear boobs. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very soft. Um, sal- saline implants, of course, if you have a rupture in a saline implant, your body absorbs all the fluid and, and you know, you can leave it in flat if you're, say, 95 years old, or you can remove and replace it either way. But it's very safe. Okay. That, that gives me a little confidence. I've uh, yeah. been told that the current breast implants feel much more like natural breasts than the implants from years ago. Would you educate us about that? Yes. Again, that's because of the more cohesive nature Um and they've, they've of course, researched this and played around with them a lot. So they might have a little more projection um, on the front and um, feel very soft when you push on the sides. Um, and let's see. So it also the silicone implants tend to ripple less. If you have breast reconstruction, you don't. You obviously don't have the breast tissue over the implant, so it you don't want to see that rippling. So a silicone implant can be a little bit of a better choice for that. Some people just maybe feel more comfortable with saline, but um, there isn't really a difference between the silicone and the saline, um, the the risk of encapsulation. That doesn't really alter it. They did think maybe silicone had a little less chance of becoming encapsulated, but that's a, a small risk for some patients. Now, when you say encapsulated, you mean really hard like a rock, right? Exactly. Every implant has a thin layer of scar tissue form around it after about 10 days after surgery. And um, over the years, it may become thicker or tighter. But some patients, this never happens and things stay soft their whole lives. Okay. Now, we're coming up on another hard break. And I want to ask you about the process of reconstruction and a temporary implant being put in right after surgery is um, what you already mentioned. And I'd like you to take yeah. us through what happens after that. Sure, yep. Yeah. Uh, we almost always place a drain at the time of placing the expander or post-operatively adjustable implant. And that stays in maybe two to three weeks. And it's, the drain is removed when the breast is not draining any any more fluid. Um, once the suture line is healed, usually after about three weeks, we can start to put uh, a smaller amounts of fluid in it every few weeks. So maybe we put in 100 cc's of fluid, have the patient's body adjust to that. It's not painful, I hear. Um, and they may need three fills and then... Um, once they're filled to the volume where we want to be, we let things sit for three months before we go back in for the second stage, just so all the skin and tissue can kind of relax and soften. Okay, now we have to take a break, listeners, and I'm sure we're just also interested in this because I, I think it's a, a topic that's not discussed all that often unless you have breast cancer. 
So we will be right back with Shannon Rathbun, Physician's Assistant. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners. We are celebrating Breast Cancer Awareness Month with our star physician's assistant, Shannon Rathbun, this morning. Welcome back. Um, how long does it take, Shannon, or how long does one have to wait to, to have the permanent implant put in? I think you touched on this, but maybe review it. Yes, sure. After the the implant is fully filled, which usually takes around two months, I would say, sometimes three maybe if, if we have to go slowly with the fill, we like to leave it in for about two to three months just for everything to settle, and then we go back to the operating room to exchange out the implant. Um, <clears throat> and that's actually usually a very easy surgery for the patient. It's just, you know, take it out and put it in. <laughs> wow. Okay. Now, tell us about the after-surgery process. What do reconstruction patients have to do after implant surgery? Do they, can they never be on their stomachs again? Oh, not at all. No, we say, you know, of course there are restrictions immediately after surgery. Definitely for three weeks, we don't like the patient lifting, no raising their arms, especially if it's an immediate breast reconstruction done at the same time of the mastectomy because we want all that skin to heal nicely. Um, So usually about six weeks of restrictions there. But then once the patient is starting to feel feel good and, you know, without the tenderness when they're wearing their bra and moving around, they can do anything, yoga, jogging, laying on their stomach, uh, any big exercise classes. Okay, well, that is comforting to know that it is not limiting. Definitely not. Yeah. How often do patients have to return to see you? We see that I see them usually within the first few days after the surgery, uh, just to check on things, change bandages, get them in their bra, and then hopefully within the first two weeks we can remove their drain, and then um, 
probably a week later just to make sure everything is looking good. And then uh, and we discussed scar care and that. Um, and then maybe not for another two months, but if we're not doing the fills, of course, the, the expander, expansion. Um, so then just maybe two months. And, you know, it really kind of depends on the type of reconstruction they have. Well, uh, it is a process. I've had many friends who had a mastectomy and... Um, and uh-huh. it is a, also it has some after effects, which I want to talk to you about in a bit, um, about um, lymphoma. Uh, after a mastectomy, right. there is no nipple or areola, which is the pigmented area around the nipple, that's left on the breast. Is that true? Yes, for the most part. We, um, as I was saying, sometimes we perform maybe a real or sparing mastectomy where we can leave part of the areola and just remove the nipple if the patient has a kind of a petite breast um, or, or everything may be removed if, you know, they have a larger droopy breast and we want to kind of lift it up. But also in some cases if um, the patient has low risk for the ductal carcinoma, um, we can actually leave that nipple behind and core it out. But yes, for the most, for the most part, we do remove the nipple at the same time of, of mastectomy. I loved the way you said it, petite breast. Listeners, yes. That's you. We have a new yes. adjective that just sounds so great, petite breast. Okay. Definitely. As opposed to flat. That's right. <laughs> Um, Does that area um, get plastic surgery too? Yes, and it's usually a good reward at the time of um, finishing finishing all the getting through all the larger surgeries. If the patient wants to have a nipple replaced, we can do a nipple reconstruction. Um, there's also something called a nipple share procedure where we might remove, if they have only one reconstructed breast and a prominent uh, nipple on the opposite breast, we can actually share that. Interesting. So just tell us about that, nipple sharing. I've never heard of such yes. a thing. Right. Uh, most patients <laughs> kind of give me a, a look when I tell them, when they hear they might be a good candidate for that. Um, yeah, if, okay. If they, <laughs> Right. If you do have a larger and a more protrusive nipple on the the breast that was left behind, you know, the, the healthy breast, um, we can, it's hard to match it with a reconstructed nipple, a more protuberant nipple. So we might, um, with local anesthetic, remove the top half of the, the, the donor nipple and make a, a space over on the reconstructed breast and actually skin graft it there, put a bandage on it for two weeks or so, and then and let things heal for six to eight weeks before we do a tattoo. That sounds like a big ouch. <laughs> Is it painful? <laughs> definitely. You know, to, even the surgeon that I work with who does it definitely cringes herself when she is injecting the nipple. But once that's done, there's there's not pain. And I don't think much during the, the healing, you know, maybe some twinges. But um, but it, it is great because then the nipples will, will match for the rest of, of time. <laughs> 
Well, I, I have this mental picture of our listener, our female listeners, like passing out during, during the nipple sharing question. We can uh, give them some relaxation beforehand if they choose to. Okay. <laughs> now, I know. So you kind of take the the healthy. I'm going to try to quote your words. Protruding <laughs> nipple. Is that? Did I have that right? Yes. Yes. And, true. Um, cut it in half. Go ahead. Yep, you kind of lop off the top half, and then the the remaining um, on the healthy breast, we sew it up together, so it's it's a little smaller. Not every patient is a good candidate for this. Some might have, you know, more here's that word petite nipples or less protuberant, more flat. So yeah. that's easier to match with a reconstruction on the other breast. Um, but with the nipple share, yeah, we make a little space on the reconstructed breast and sew it in there like a skin graft. So that takes about two to three weeks to heal? Well, yeah, but typically six weeks. There there might be some, you know, it looks a little blue at first, but then it, it actually takes up all the blood supply from the small, very small vessels um, in the skin of the reconstructed breast. It's pretty amazing, like a skin graft does. You know, it takes up the the, um, the small vessels actually connect to each other to provide blood flow. Okay. Um, again, that sounds like an ouch. <laughs> <laughs> for only the, not for the weak of heart. <laughs> no. no. Um, so... If you don't want to do the different sharing because it right. sounds so painful, <laughs> yes. um, you said there are other choices. Would you talk about those a little more? Yes, it's, it's definitely easier to show a picture or diagram, but we can, um, if, they're, if, if the patient hasn't had radiation or their skin is not, you know, really tight on the reconstructed breast, we can usually, um, the surgeon, We'll make an, an incision of a, of a skin flap. They're a different shape. But if you think about like a, a manta ray it's, or a skate, it's kind of like that. And then we lift it up, and that's um, called a flap. And so that actually uses its own blood supply from we leave an area attached to the breast, and then we just sew it, to bunch it up together, kind of like tab A, slot A. Um, and then put a bandage over that, and that takes also, you know, it's pretty well healed after two weeks, but we let it settle for about six weeks for all the incisions to heal before we can do the tattoo and add some color. Well, when you say flap, I get this mental image of a kangaroo pouch. So (laughs) (laughs) can you compare those two, flap and kangaroo pouch? That's actually a good um, analogy or comparison, um, but imagine taking that kangaroo pouch and kind of bringing it together to create a little mound, but the part that gets the, the blood supply is on the lower part of the kangaroo. So often with those, uh, with the reconstructed nipple, those are more tend more to kind of flatten out with time. So the, some patients, you know, if they really flatten out, they a few years later may say, can you redo it? But unfortunately, it's not easy because there are scars there, and it tends to just flatten with time, too. 
But some, some, if there's a lot of excess skin, you know, then it might kind of stick around more protuberant for a while. Once, actually, I know, or in some occasions, they'll actually need to revise or remove some of that skin because it's too protuberant for the patient. Protuberant. Okay. <laughs> listeners, we're listening. We're learning a lot of medical talk today. Um, I guess you don't call it a kangaroo pouch in surgery. <laughs> no, it's a and, flap. And, and a kangaroo pouch. <laughs> is there, I think also you mentioned this, I'm going to ask you again, is there a treatment to replace the areola? And if so, would you tell us about that? Sure. That's what actually the other PA and I do, um, other PAs in our department do, is the um, tattooing or pigmenting of the nipple areolar complex, we call it. And that's usually a very special visit, too, with the patients because they've made it through all these steps and they're just really happy to be kind of having the finishing touches. And we can choose colors. We've been doing a newer system for the last almost five years called Soft Tap. And um, it has fun colors called, like, Princess, Pinkaboo, Mocha Java. <laughs> and, uh, and we have different needles, and we actually hand pig, hand tap the uh, color into the skin. And um, so it's great. It, it, it can fade with time. The colors, you know, maybe more pink. And so those do tend to fade a bit. But we can always retouch, retouch these. I was I was also going to say um, if if patients I we don't I don't know of many patients that have opted for this but um, if they don't want to do any nipple reconstruction or anything but they want kind of a temporary solution there are um, silicone nipple prosthetics and there's even a company I haven't really seen this done but there's a company that before you have your mastectomy you can make a mold a replica of your own nipple. And then have this kind of, you know, adhesive silicone nipple areolar complex. Wow. Well, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. So I, many options. What, what did you call that, though? Pinkaboo? <laughs> Pinkaboo is one of the colors. They have a lot of very clever names. <laughs> yep. Pinkaboo with cinnamon with an S. <laughs> Your patience. Like, get a kick out of those names and... Uh, Definitely. Like if I had to do that, I think I'd choose Pinkaboo. But, but you have to match the color, right? You, yeah, if, if you're just, if you're only doing one side, yes. You match the color um, as best as you can. But if you're doing a bilateral, if they've had a bilateral mastectomy, you can, you know, look at their pre-op pictures and try to match that or... Maybe they want just cotton candy or sweet 16. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. You're making this so fun. So you can come in with your natural self and saying, you know what, I think I'd like navy blue. (laughs) We actually do have some blue colors, yes. But, well, I haven't ever done that. (laughs) <laughs> we do. That's usually just to, to help take out some of the orange colors. But there are, we do have a lot of patients that have just gone into, um, you know, the community and gotten a, a beautiful flower tattoo over their breast or something very significant to them. So that's 
that's also very cool. Well, listeners, we I have can't to take a break. <laughs> we're going to come up and we're going to come back to you, listeners, and talk about Pinkaboo a little more. And we are here with Shannon Rathbun, who's a physician's assistant, talking about mastectomies and reconstruction. We will be back to you in a few moments. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Want to ace your upcoming survey exam? The NLC Prep Combo has everything you need to help you crush your upcoming FS, PS, Florida PSM, California PLS, or Texas RPLS exam. Combos include a full-length practice exam book with the same number of questions and category types as the actual exam, a pre-programmed HP 35 with 17 programs to solve those time-consuming equations such as COGO, triangles, traverses, and more in seconds. A complete online course is included that covers every topic of the exam with videos, workbooks, quizzes, and a full-length practice exam that simulates the computer-based format of the FS and PS exam. That gives you not just one, but two full-length practice exams to help fully prepare you for test day. Visit us at nlcprep.com for more information and let us help you crush your exams. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here with physician's assistant and also surgical assistant, um, Shannon mm-hmm. Rathbun, talking about mastectomies and reconstruction and pinkaboo colors. <laughs> so, Shannon, let's review to make sure I and my listeners understand the sequence of events. After it's determined that a mastectomy is necessary, the cancerous breast is removed, and if reconstruction is desired, an implant is put in place right after the breast removal. Do I, get, do I have that correct? Yes, correct, unless a different form of reconstruction will be attempted later, like using their own tissue. Okay. All right. Well, pink a boo to that. 
Um, then, <laughs> then we have to wait for, so in sequence, then we have to wait for a healing time before another surgery to perform to replace the temporary implant with the permanent one. Is that right? Definitely correct, yes. Okay. And how long does that usually take between the mastectomy and the replacement of the permanent implant? I'd say three to six months unless we were able to, which we're doing more and more lately, place the um, the silicone gel or permanent implant at the same time of mastectomy. So then it's just a one stage. Okay. And then after surgery from the permanent implants is healed, one can do nipple sharing, right? Or not Right. Or, or nipple reconstruction or nothing. I'd say maybe 50% go that route of reconstructing the nipple. And then others do nothing? Right. Some may say, you know, I don't even want, I want to wear just a t-shirt to the gym and not have to worry about my nipple sticking out. <laughs> oh, okay. Braless. Right. <laughs> Ladies. I usually reassure <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I usually reassure them that even with the reconstructed, they, they often won't be that protuberant. <laughs> Protuberant. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think again. I have it, and I hope our listeners do. I know I want to ask you, is there any special care or exercises or massage that permanent implants require? Yes. If, if the patient has a smooth implant, um, I didn't really mention that there are also textured implants. We personally don't use textured implants for permanent placement very often, but definitely many surgeons out there do, but if a patient has a smooth implant, we do recommend daily implant massage, kind of gently and hopefully daily, or just continuing to be active to kind of keep that pocket around the implant nice and soft. If they do have a textured implant, it's said that that texturization might, you know, help prevent the capsular contracture, so they don't need to try to move things around because that's like Velcro in there. Wow, I've never ever heard of a textured implant. When you touch them before they're in, do they have, right. have they have a texture? Is that why they they're called textured? Exactly. Yeah, like it feels like a smooth Velcro. Oh, and then I have to ask this question. So once they're in, do they also feel textured? <laughs> no, uh-uh. sometimes they <laughs> might feel more firm, I think, because they don't move around as much, but no. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Usually no. <laughs> okay, good. That might be a whole new trend-setting thing, though. <laughs> now, as a physician assistant, I want to ask you about surgery. What do you do in surgery? What's your job exactly? We first assist, which um, is what they used to have another surgeon do. Um, so now we've been able to kind of replace that surgeon so that they can be, you know, seeing other patients or doing or doing their own surgery with a PA assisting. Um, so we do a lot of retraction. We, we can do anything that the surgeon will let us do um, that they feel comfortable with. We can sometimes make incisions, um, help remove tissue, you know, under, under, as I say, they're kind of their guidance, depending on how long you've worked with a surgeon. 
but we do a lot of the stopping of bleeding, suturing, uh, tying off vessels, uh, placing drains, doing pretty much everything that they do as well. But they kind of make the plan of the surgery and do most of the dissection. And then we, you know, really help them close up and cut down the time of the surgery. Now, I want to ask you a question because it sounds like you have plastic surgery training in the operating room. And how many mm-hmm. physician assistants go on and go back to medical school with all that knowledge that they've learned as a physician's assistant? Do you know? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, but I'd say that it's pretty low because I think most PAs have chosen this career path for for various reasons, and we're very happy. We have a lot of good um, job satisfaction. We can be very involved with the patients. We can do a lot of the same things that a physician can do, and but you know, with a little bit more, a little less responsibility, of course. But I mean, we still have a great deal, and take responsibility for the patient. But I believe in my class of forty, I know of one PA that went on to go to medical school. But and and I know it happens out there definitely. But so I'd say maybe ten percent. Okay, so I, because medical school is a grind, right? Exactly. It would be you know a whole nother bill too. You have to get those loans and pay for that schooling. But um, but if that's of course I consider there there were times in in my career now where I'd say you know I should just. I should just do it so I can, and you've, you've, we've learned so much, but, but I'm very happy in my role. Yeah. Now, um, I know that you work for one of America's largest HMOs, which we cannot mention the name of, but what's Mm -hmm. your surgical schedule like? We are usually in the operating room three to four days per week, and we have four surgeons, and, you know, one surgeon might have two days or three days. We also travel between two hospitals now. But um, I'd say we're within our department of four surgeons. We're in the operating room four days and sometimes two rooms um, on one of those days. Wow. So that's a heavy All day. (laughs) All day? All day, yeah. Oh, my God. Do you go home just wiped out? No, I mean, it's. I think we're all used to it. I know during training, yes, the feet would hurt. And there are some days, um, <laughs> yeah, where you'll get uh, maybe delayed for whatever reason or a very long case. So so there are times, yes, but but no, we, we keep up our stamina. <laughs> now, before we come to an end of our program, Shannon, are there any mm-hmm. other types of plastic surgeries in which you commonly participate? Yes, as you mentioned, the HMO, um, we don't do cosmetic surgery, but we do um, anything that's considered a covered benefit, um, you know, maybe an abnormality where the patient will benefit from the surgery. So the surgery that we do the most is breast reduction, and uh, that, I'd say, has the highest patient satisfaction of any surgery. We need to remove about three-quarters or a pound of breast tissue or more and that really improves their neck and back pain. Um, we do a lot of breast implant removal for patients that have had cosmetic breast augmentation and they're just done with their implants for whatever reason. And we remove the scar tissue around that implant as well. 
Uh, patients that have had major weight loss, we can do a paniculectomy or remove that apron of skin hanging. Uh, we also Wait, do. You mean like your stomach or on your breast? Exactly. No, the stomach. The stomach. Um, for the breast, only if we can remove some tissue. But uh, we do skin cancer reconstruction of the face, you know, after removal, face and other areas. We'll do skin grafting for burns, sometimes fat injections if we're trying to improve the breast symmetry after reconstruction. Uh, We'll do blepharoplasty or removing the excess eyelid skin if it interferes with their vision. And also otoplasty or kind of pulling the ears back if they're protrusive. Oh, my gosh. And and I just bet, like in my introduction, I bet that people go through this at your facility and they come out and, and after a while they feel so happy that they went through this procedure. It's really great. It is. Yeah. I mean, even though sometimes we, we do have complications, of course, and we get them through it, but it's it's very rewarding, and the end, yes, I get that feedback a lot that, you know, we've improved self-esteem and just really helped them in their lives during the hard times. Well, Shannon, I want to thank you so much for all you do. And um, Thank you. I, th- I think that you've done all of us a huge, huge service today, and our chat has been actually a public service announcement, so to speak. <laughs> and I want to thank you for being our guest. And listeners, My make sure that you get your mammograms done as often as your physician uh, suggests that you do. Focus on prevention. And if you do get breast cancer, focus on recovery, not tragedy. Plastic surgery gives us a lift, both, both figuratively and <laughs> metaphorically, and it gives us hope for a new future. And in many ways, plastic surgery helps us give with hope for a new future. And I want to, again, thank our guest, Shannon Rathbun. And thank you, Anne. Oh, thank you're you so, so welcome. much. And until next week, this is Dr. Ann Schiebert reminding you that only you can make your world the way you want it to be. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.